Hi folks, I'm Lindsay Ray, otherwise known as UK Bid Writer. SMEs need to approach tendering for public or private sector commercial contracts in a different way to larger organisations. To really stand out from the competition and show off what makes your business the best choice for that contract, you need a specialist in SME tendering. In each episode of the UK Bid Writer podcast, I'll give you practical and effective, tried and tested information and advice on bid writing and bid management to help you win more tenders. Today's crucial subject, to bid or not to bid. Responding to tenders takes time and effort. Here's how to decide which contracts are right for your business and which ones you can safely ignore. Whether you call it a bid or no bid strategy, a go or no go process or some other thing, it's important to have a clear idea of the types of contracts that are worth your company's time and energy to bid on. I know developing a strategy like this can sound complicated and to be fair you can make your own strategy as complex as you want, but in simple terms all you really need to do is figure out your deal breakers and let them guide you. So why is it important? Well, when you're awarded a contract following a tender process, you're bound by that contract for however many years the contract runs for. And it's essential then that you choose contracts that your company can realistically uphold. It's also vital to choose contracts that fit your company's short, medium and long-term goals. Because that's the difference between building and maintaining the business you want versus ending up with a business shaped by outside factors. Let's start by looking at some examples of what deal breakers from your perspective might be. But before we do that, it's important to understand that your company will have its own specific deal breakers, as well as or instead of the common examples I'm going to talk about today. And many of the specific deal breakers you decide on might then be influenced by other factors within the contract. Figuring out where your hard lines are and where some elements can be balanced out by others is how you end up with a way of quickly and easily deciding what's worth going for and what's not that is entirely bespoke to your company. To start the process, it's useful to first of all make a giant list of all the possible deal breakers you can think of. And you can then go back through that list and work out just how important or flexible or realistic each of those are. What you get out of that exercise will then form the basis of your ultimate strategy. Alright, deal breaker number one. What type of contracts do you want to tender for? Are they single supplier contracts or frameworks? Single supplier contracts, where you supply and manage the whole of the contract, can seem like the holy grail, but whether they're right for you depends on the setup of your business. Maybe 70% of your business comes through the private sector and you just want one or two single supplier public sector contracts in hand as well. Or maybe you only serve the public sector in which case you might want a nice balance of both single supplier contracts and frameworks. Frameworks can be great, they're essentially a preferred supplier list, but there's usually no guarantee of the volume of work you'll get through one. And in some cases, not all, but some, how you score on your tender determines how high up you are on the list, and therefore how likely you are to be invited to bid for future projects or mini competitions. There are sensible reasons to apply to be on a framework even if you don't think you'll get any work through it at all, but they apply in specific circumstances, which sounds like a good excuse for another episode, so I guess keep your ears open for that one. So your breakpoints for type of contract might therefore include questions like What types of contracts fit your business plan right now? What 
types of contracts will you not consider at all? And how many of each type of contract does it make sense to have in the context of your business? Deal breaker two could be location. Does location have a bearing on the kind of contracts you'll go for? If you can deliver your products and services anywhere in the UK or globally, then perhaps it doesn't. But if you provide people-to-people -people services within communities or your staff, equipment and materials are managed from a specific depot, then perhaps it might. So location questions could include, which regions do you want to supply to? Or which regions will you not consider supplying to? Okay, deal breaker number three could be organisation type. And there are as many reasons to draw lines about, around different types of organisations as there are organisations themselves. Some of those reasons might be pretty clear. For example, if your business was created to respond to a specific organisational need in a specific sector. And on the other hand, some reasons might be a bit intangible or even a bit personal. For example, you might actively want to work with certain types of organisations such as charities, housing associations, community organisations, known good payers and so on. Or you might actively not want to work with certain types of organisations such as known slow payers or organisations that conflict with your models and ideals. So you can ask, what kind of organisations do you want to work with? What kind of organisations will you avoid like the plague? Or which organisation types align well with what you provide? The next deal breaker is one that you should definitely have in your strategy, and that is contract value. Working out the minimum contract value you're prepared to bid for is essential. It's got to be worth your while. When you add up any additional resource or contract management costs to your business as a result of taking on the contract, where does that leave you? Sometimes it is worth taking on a contract that's a little on the low side because that contract might bring you other benefits such as experience you can then use as evidence in future tenders for higher value contracts. It's also useful to work out a maximum contract value breakpoint in line with your current circumstances, because while it would be nice to make one big leap from doing projects in the tens or hundreds of thousands to projects worth millions, you need to be realistic about whether you can fulfil higher value contracts at this point in time. So think about, what's the lowest value contract you'll consider going for? For contracts at the lowest edge, what other benefits would you need to gain from contract to make it worthwhile? What's the highest value contract you'll consider going for this year? For contracts just on the edge of too high, what risks would you need to consider before making that stretch? And what's the longer term plan for increasing the value of the contracts you go for over the next few years? Ultimately, for contract value, you'd want to set a relatively fixed low-high range with a bit of wiggle room on each end that you can flex depending on the individual tender. Another important deal breaker is resources. Resources covers a multitude of things. It could be staff, premises, equipment, products, internal systems and more. Just thinking about staff initially, can you take on a new contract with just your existing staff? And if not, are you in a position to hire more? In fact, some tenders require that bidders have a minimum number of staff to dedicate to the contract and that those staff must be part of your existing team. One way to get around this is by hiring new staff to work on your existing contracts while old hands move to the new contract. But you still need to consider how that might affect your day-to-day -day business. Is a particular contract worth the internal upheaval? 
Going further, many tenders require your internal business processes to function in a certain way. This often includes how you take, process and invoice orders, or how you monitor, measure and report your performance. Are your internal systems already set up for this, or would they need developing? So some breakpoints about resources might be, what is the maximum scope of a contract that you could handle using your existing staff? How many new staff would you be prepared to take on and train for a contract? What is the maximum scope of a contract that you could handle using existing premises, equipment or fleet and so on? And what further premises, equipment or fleet would you be prepared to invest in? What's the maximum scope of a contract that you could handle using your existing suppliers? And how much time and money would you be prepared to invest to update your internal systems and processes? Once you've got all of these questions down and a pretty fair idea of the answers, you can start to build a strategy that's unique to your business. You can start to build in some flexibility, along with the hard, do not pass go type of lines. Start thinking, if this, then that. What I mean by that is, you could put together a funky little flowchart that strictly defines each of your deal breakers and never tender for a contract that's a penny under your minimum value or involves taking on one more staff member or buying a new printer. But that's pretty restrictive. There's a lot to be gained by looking at how each individual contract fares when you weigh up all of these factors against each other. I mean, it's unlikely at best that you'll find endless opportunities that fit neatly into your picture of an ideal contract. There's almost always going to be at least one area that makes you go, hmm. So your bid or no bid strategy needs to be fixed enough to almost eliminate the risk of wasting time and effort tendering for unsuitable contracts while leaving just enough wiggle room for you to rationally consider almost perfect opportunities and make a reasonable decision on whether or not they're worth your while. Phew. In a minute, we'll look at the deal breakers from the contracting organisation's perspective. Right now, though, a word from our sponsor. That's me. I'm, I'm a sponsor. You're listening to Lindsay Ray on the UK Bid Writer podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, head over to my website at ukbidwriter.com forward slash coaching to find out more about my unique one-to-one coaching program. Through real-time coaching during a live bid, you can become a confident and successful bid writer. Using a direct practice learning by doing methodology, I'll teach you how to improve your bid writing skills, easily understand complex tender questions, structure your answers effectively, optimise your internal processes, save time and relieve pressure, and produce high-scoring bids time after time. Visit ukbidwriter.com forward slash coaching for more information. Let's get started today. And we're back. Let's look at deal breakers then from the contracting organisation's perspective. All of the hard lines and carefully decided flexibility that you put in place for your reasons will be completely in vain if your company can't meet the pass-fail benchmarks set out by the contracting organisation. So it's important to understand what those might be and how they might affect you. But to be honest, this is something you'll only really know once you've got the full tender documentation in front of you. And while it's tempting to just plough on with a burn that bridge when we come to it attitude, there may be certain benchmarks that no amount of clever writing can fix. For example, financial stability. 
One of the biggest hurdles, especially for small or new businesses, is the requirement to prove your financial stability. If you don't have three years worth of audited accounts, a parent company, or a fat wadge of cash in the bank, you may find yourself out in the cold. There is a big emphasis at the moment within the procurement world on helping SMEs access and apply for contracts wherever possible. And in many cases, as long as you have some other form of proof, such as a statement from the bank, and that's not to be confused with a bank statement, by the way, which outlines your current financial situation, along with copies of your unaudited accounts, cash flow and assets, you may still pass that section. This is not always the case. A little while ago, a client of mine found out that they couldn't possibly pass a financial assessment of what seemed, on the surface, to be a perfectly reasonable tender. Because there was a requirement for any bidder to have a minimum of half a million quid behind them, inaccessible funds, not assets, either in their own bank or via a guarantor. So essentially this locked out the majority of smaller businesses, including my client. Next up, qualifications, certifications, registrations and experience. Depending on the sector, your company or your individual staff might need to comply with certain legislation or requirements, without which you will not be considered. For example, DBS checks, health and safety certification, memberships of industry schemes, individual qualifications and years of experience. A very topical one is location and hand in hand with that social and economic value. A lot of public sector tenders, particularly anything to do with local councils, housing associations, public amenities and so on, now require that suppliers actively contribute to the local, social and economic value that they offer to their communities. Now, it might not sound like it on the surface, but this can be an extremely good thing for small or medium sized businesses. I have a whole post about it on my site. There will soon be an episode of this podcast looking at it in detail, and I also offer a workshop on it. Go to ukbidwriter.com and just search for social value or check out the show links at the end. But the bottom line is, if the tender assigns a lot of potential points to this aspect, it's important that you can respond to what they're asking for. And lastly, some other likely deal breakers. Sounds a bit negative, but really there are unlimited ways in which you can be knocked out of a competition before you even start. Yay! Every contracting organisation has its own aims, goals, preferences and legal requirements. The time to find these things out is well before you or your bid writer start putting together the bid response. So always read through the documentation carefully and see where it does or doesn't fit with your own bid or no bid strategy. It can also be really useful information to know for other reasons. If you find you're consistently coming up against certain barriers when you look at possible tenders, it might be time to consider adding ways to overcome them into your wider business development plan. Finally, do review your strategy at least every year and see if those questions still apply or if you've got new deal breakers as your business grows and changes. A good bid or no bid strategy is always a work in progress. That's all for today. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the UK Bid Writer podcast. Make sure to visit my website at ukbidwriter.com where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a trick. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could give it a rating on iTunes or just tell a friend or a colleague and spread the word. If you'd like to know more about how to develop your own bid or no bid strategy or just want some help getting started, get in touch. You can also book me to deliver a half-day workshop on this or many other topics for your company away day, supplier event or business network. 
You can email me at lindsay at ukbidwriter.com or to find me on the usual social channels, just search for UK Bidwriter. You've been listening to Lindsay Wright, otherwise known as UK Bidwriter, offering specialist expertise for UK SMEs. See you next time.